All right, so here's the deal. I have bronchitis. That's what it is. And so they, they give me these antibiotics and this killer cough medicine, by the way. And <laughs> whatever. If I, it's not working. And uh, if I seem a little loopy, there's a reason. <coughs> We're feeling good today. It's all good. Uh, welcome to Element. If you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They'll have some announcements on the front, some homework on the back, some questions to ask your friends, and some notes in the middle. I don't even know what I just said. I'm just, I'm just saying words. So, uh, great. I have two things to tell you before we get. Number one, uh, we do this thing around every Thanksgiving called the agape. Uh, the first year we did this, uh, we got everybody together for a big meal because the early church used to get together for big meals and they called them agapes. Uh, the love feast where we get together and, you know, make sure everybody's needs are met and we eat together and have a lot of fellowship together. So we did that the first year all together here. The next year we did it in people's homes. And this year again we're doing it back together here. And what we're doing is you're doing, doing a potluck. And then at the end of the potluck we're doing a big dessert. And during the dessert we have a, a Jewish guy that, that's coming. He was, he was raised as a Jew. He works for Jews for Jesus. And if you were here over Good Friday service, he came and did a Seder meal with us. He's actually going to be back again doing some things about the feasts in the Old Testament and how they relate to the New Testament and to Christianity. And it's really interesting. Interesting. So we're not going to do a sign up. We're just going to say show up. We do have an overflow room in the back. I kind of like the overflow room because it's got it's got a projector and I can talk and not interrupt anybody. I was watching the video from the from the Good Friday service last year and I seem to talk a lot while other people are talking. It's always not good. Like in movies, when I was like, shut up. I'm like, ah, da, 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 you know, just. I have a friend who, when you go see a movie, he actually will sit there and turn towards you during the movie and start talking to you. I'm like. That's overkill for me. But anyway, you should all come to the Agape. It's the Wednesday night. I think it starts at 6 p.m. 6 p.m. before uh, the before Thanksgiving. I'm sorry. I really am. <laughs> okay. And the second thing is, uh, some of you guys, I don't know what the deal is with you guys, but you leave stuff here all the time. All the time. It's, it's like get up and like, oh, yeah, I don't need that jacket, something. So... In the back, we have this lost and found. Tons of stuff back there. And if you have left something, you can't find a jacket or a purse or a coat or whatever, they're, they're back there on, on a table, everything we have. And there's a lot of stuff back there. And if you don't pick them up this week, they're going to the shelter. We're just going to give them to people at the shelter. And, uh, you know, if you leave your purse here, we'll probably rifle through it first and then give it to the shelter. But stuff's back there. So go and get it before we're... Done. You're going to be a tough crowd today. Or maybe it's just me. I don't know. My ears are stuffed. I can't hear a thing. So if you laugh or don't laugh, I'm like, whatever. I'll just keep going. Why don't you guys stay on the arena to God's word? I'm supposed to be done with it this week. Antibiotics end and I get better. So he tells me. I don't believe him yet. Psalm 121 verse 2 says this. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we, as your people, would be those who lift our eyes, look to you, and understand that our hope and help only comes from you. That no matter what happens in our lives, the things we worry and fret about, Father, we could lay those things before you and trust you to bring all things together, for you are good. Amen. Have a seat. All right, this is Genesis week 38. 
I know sometimes it seems like you hit the middle of like a book like this and it's like we're just kind of drudging through. But these are the things that really deal with life because, you know, you have the highs and the lows in life and this is just kind of the middle portion where you're just kind of going through it, getting to the other side. This, it's all good stuff because this really relates to where we are. Uh, today we get to what's called the marriage of Isaac and Rebecca. Now, last week was for married people. We talked about, you know, what happens the day you lose your spouse, maybe you lose a parent or someone like this. This today is for all of you single single people in the room. Oh, you single ladies. Oh, you single. All right. All right. We're just, it's for, it's for all of you. Uh, who's single in here? Who's single? All right. So here's the deal, right? If you say another 40 years goes by and you're still single, we're going to bring you all back in here. We're going to put numbers under the chairs. We'll pull them out. 13 marries 13. We'll just, we'll just do it. Okay. We'll figure it out. All right. <laughs> now, what I want you is open to Psalm 121. We're going to start where we kind of ended last week with this idea of where does my help come from? Because these two things kind of go together with what uh, Psalm 121 talks about. Now, I told you Psalm 121 is the text of the first sermon that Dietrich Bonhoeffer ever preached. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is probably one of the greatest uh, thinkers of the 20th century. He stood with poison grace against the Nazis and was ended up killed for what he believed and what he stood for. But what he did is he held this psalm in his heart his entire life because he realized no matter what happens, his help and his hope comes from God. And I think this is very good for us to look at today. It says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he, will, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you. You're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And lastly, we talked about this idea. In the midst of worry, I lift up my eyes which is the eager anticipation of the good things God's going to bring no matter what the circumstances are. And today it's Isaac, he's a 40-year-old virgin, and it's not a comedy. Lift up our eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Last week we dealt with loss. And this is where you lift up your eyes and you focus on what God's doing and not necessarily all the circumstances of your life. And this is a real important question from us because when we look at this, what kind of help does God actually bring and what kind of help are we as a people looking for? This gets you into deep questions of the kingdom of God because help doesn't mean that God's going to help you get all your little projects done that you think you have to get done. Help isn't help so that you can be ushered into the life with the kind of circumstances that you think is going to make you happy. Help from God isn't to assist you in getting ahead because it's so important to God that you get ahead. Help is the idea that God is taking us and molding us into the people he intends for us to be. And this brings us to one of the most important things you can understand in this psalm. It says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. This is the idea that God watches over us. Over and over and over, the psalm writer says, he who keeps you or watches over you, he who watches over Israel, he will keep your life. He he watches over your coming and your going. Keep in Hebrew is the word watch. They're interchangeable. It's actually the same word. It gets used six times in these verses. God is our watcher. God is our keeper. We are the watchees and the keepees, however that works. You know, we are the kind of beings who need to be watched over. If there's no one watching over us, well, then we're doomed. But if we have a watcher, well, then everything is different. Over and over, the psalmist says this. God is watching you. He's keeping you. He's keeping you. Whatever's going on in your life, your body, your money, your relationship, he's keeping you. He's watching you. You don't have to be afraid. And this is the idea of trust. We went all through Abraham's life, and God has been keeping him and watched him. Abraham ran off and did some crazy things, and God keeps bringing him back. You get to his son Isaac. Isaac runs off to some crazy 
crazy things. God keeps him and brings him back. You get to Jacob, Isaac's son, does a lot, of, a lot more crazy things than either of the other two did. And God takes him and still brings him back because it's God's story. He's the watcher. We never have to be afraid. And this is the kind of language that changes our lives if we actually let it. It says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The, God, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. And your right hand is where a counselor would be, where your uh, bodyguard would be, the guy on your right hand. That's the one who you needed most would be to signal on your right hand. And God says, I'm not just there. I'm not just keeping you. I'm at your right hand. He says, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Now, I told you this is what's called a psalm of ascent. It's part of one of 15 psalms about pilgrims going up to Jerusalem. And so when you're traveling by day in the desert, you know, it's, you get sun, heat, sunstroke, thirst, stroke, whatever that's called there either. You know, and, and there's a whole bunch of great danger. And that's, that might kill you on the way. So it says, you know, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. This is comprehensive. No matter what time of day, sun or moon, God's there. And the moon striking us sounds really strange to us in, in our culture today. But in the ancient world, the moon was always associated with like mental impairment. In the New Testament, there's this Greek word it's used twice, and it's literally translated as moonstruck. And in that way, you know, even in English, you have this idea of lunar having to deal with like lunacy or lunatic. We always say on the full moon, the loonies come out. Like you don't want a full moon to happen on Halloween because that's like a double whammy. It's like, ah, crazy time. The Lord will keep you, keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. Well, what's that about? This is actually a, a poetic and technical way in Hebrew of saying if you go out to work in the morning you know, and, and you do things during the day, whatever that is, and you come home at night and you rest and relax and sleep, the Lord keeps you. He watches. You're going out and you're coming in. It's a beautiful way of saying every moment of your life. These are great promises in these psalms if you're worried about where your life is right now and you have to hear me on this none of these promises refer to being kept physically safe financially safe or god not making you wait on his timing this is the idea that god watches over everything he is sovereign over everything but it doesn't mean that we get things the way that we want what it means is our god holds us from slipping in the beginning of this psalm it says he will not let your foot be moved this is the idea of slipping of leaving the path of obedience with god oftentimes the old testament talks about you know the path of righteousness the path of doing god's will the right way and to have a foot slip means to leave that path classic example of the metaphor is psalm 73 verse 2 it says but as for me my feet had almost stumbled my steps had nearly slipped the psalm writer says, when my focus was not on God and it was on something else, he's like, oh my gosh. When I was in that condition, you know, I almost gave into an attitude, a life of bitterness, of anger and gratitude. My foot almost slipped, almost lost my foothold. So to say that God won't let your foot slip is not saying God's going to keep you from problems or pain or, or trouble or discomfort or loss. It's saying that God is going to keep you and help you and give you the strength to remain obedient to him. God keeps, will keep me from sin. He will guard my eternal soul. And this is the teaching of the psalm and of Jesus. Nothing eternal is at risk when you trust in Christ. Nothing eternal is at risk. So you can be at peace, but on the other hand, everything temporal is at risk. Your body, your job, bodies of people you love, your money, everything temporal. Nothing eternal. That's reality. Now, last week I talked to you about Dietrich Bonhoeffer briefly, because in Christianity we are part of a people whom untold thousands have given their lives for the cause of Christ, and they counted a privilege in it. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer used to say is that we are not cushioned. We're not wrapped in like bubble wrap, so that, oh, nothing ever really hurts us. We're not cushioned. He says we are kept. We're not cushioned. We are kept. This is what he says. Peace is the opposite of security, because we all want security. He says to demand guarantees is to want to protect oneself. Peace means giving oneself completely 
completely to God, wanting no security, but in faith and obedience, resting in the hand of Almighty God. And you have to get this as you come to this idea of Genesis 24 today. Because what you see in the text, and you don't really see it so much in the English as you read it, but Abraham and Isaac, they're very worried that Isaac is not going to get this bride that God has promised him so he can actually have future generations that come after him. They're very worried. And so I really don't hope you think I'm overdoing it as I compare Isaac and Abraham's worry over finding a good wife for Isaac, even though God's promises all rested on that. And I'm comparing Isaac to Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a struggle against the Nazis in this. Uh, you have to understand, Bonhoeffer lost so much from an earthly standpoint. Uh, he never got married. He was engaged when he died. He was in prison the last two years of his life. Never got to be a father while he was still in his 30s. He was led to a gallows and he was killed. Yet he presumed this sacrifice was well worth it. The last words that he was heard to say by a cellmate when they came to get him to his execution, he says, this is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. Now, a month before he died, Bonhoeffer wrote this poem. And uh, they found this, and so it's actually published in one of his biographies. It says, he writes this, Who am I? They often tell me I would step from my cell's confinement, calmly, cheerfully, firmly like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I would talk to my warden freely and friendly and clearly as though it were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I would bear the days of misfortune calmly, smiling proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I then, am I then really all that which other men tell of, or am I only what I know of myself? Restless, longing, and sick, like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath, as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voice of, voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, trembling with anger at evils and petty humiliations, tossing an expectation of great events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once, a hypocrite before others and before myself, a contentably woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from a victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. He says, you know, who, whoever I am, I don't even know me. It's like, it's like we have, I'm in an army that's already won a victory because we have won the victory, but yet a lot of us always run away like we haven't run the victory and we always live in fear. He says, all I know, all I hope, God, is that I am yours. That's what he says. And I will tell you guys, sometimes things in your life will not work out the way you want. Sometimes they will. It's why sometimes you, you watch the news and, and the tornado will go through and one house will be perfectly fine on this side of the street and a house on the other side of the street is just blown away. It's why one family can pop out kids on command and another family tries for years and years and years and they can just never have children. It's why two people get married and they have this great marriage. Other people get married and, and, they, and they struggle their entire marriage and some people sit on the sidelines just waiting and hoping and longing to meet someone too. And no matter where you are, if, if that's you and you have this anxiety and worry, then take heart today because that is Isaac as well. Open your Bibles to Genesis 24. Genesis 24 is the longest narrative in the book of Genesis. It is 67 verses, so we're essentially just going to read through the entire thing. If I went verse, verse by verse, we'd be here all day. So we're going to basically read through the entire thing and we'll point some out and pull things together at the end. 
As you turn there, I will tell you this, though. Uh, I, as your pastor, would hope for you guys just to kind of have a dull marriage. That, that, that's what I want. Where you, where you love your spouse forever, they love you, no divorce, no affairs, no aid tests. Crazy me, I know. But, you know, that's, that's what I want for you. I want you guys to have a marriage where you love each other for a lifetime, and your love carries you through that lifetime. This is why Scripture talks about one person, one partner in marriage, one lifetime. That's God's way of doing things. When you watch reality TV, it tells you things so much different. And so we've got to stop, you know, believing the things we watch on TV and believe the things that God says. When things come into conflict with God, we trust God. So this is Genesis 24. We're just going to kind of read through it. So, now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, meaning time is still passing for him. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, and you never know this guy's name, by the way, the oldest of his household who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. And you're thinking, whoa, what kind of story is this? <laughs> this In this culture, this is the way you made a vow. Today we shake hands. It's better. You put your hand under my thigh, I'm going to punch you. All right, so we just shake hands today. Okay, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, the non-Christians, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife from my son Isaac. This in the context means they've been looking. Right? They're getting very desperate. They're looking, where, where is this person for my son? And they haven't found anybody. And so now maybe they're going to go look in the right place. You know, maybe, maybe you're single and you've been looking for a while. Maybe you're looking in the wrong place. Like, I can never find a good guy at the bar. Well, okay. All right, verse 5. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham says, No. See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you shall be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. And these are the last recorded words of Abraham in the book of Genesis. He reiterates his faith in God. He says, don't look back. God's going to be true to what he said. We can trust him. And Abraham at this point knows this for sure. Again, Psalm 121, where does my help come? It comes from the Lord. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Now, why doesn't he send Isaac there? Because Isaac is desperate. And he meets a girl that he really likes. And she says, well, I don't want to move back there. He'd probably stay. And what Abraham is, he wants his son to stay where God has promised the promised land to be. Verse 10. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time the wind women come out, go out to draw water. Verse 12. And he said, literally he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have sworn steadfast love to my master. See, he's not being very specific at all. All right, I'm just being sarcastic. Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, and behold is like this, well, bam, in Hebrew, behold, Rebecca. Like, well, 
bam, behind door number one. Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out, I love God's timing, with, water, with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance. That's a nice thing right there. A maiden, means she's a virgin. That's good. Who no man had known. Like, amen. Perfect. Verse 16. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. Very nice lady. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, He doesn't ask. She volunteers. I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Now, how many camels does he have? Yeah, listen to the story. Come on, people. Ten. Ten. Ten camels. My goodness. Now, anybody know how many gallons of water a camel can drink? What? Twenty-five. Okay? Twenty. It's like a tank of gas in an SUV right there. So if they're all thirsty, that could be 250 gallons of water. It's like, I would like to pull 250 gallons from the well on a bucket on a rope for you, Mr. Stranger. By the way, I'm a hot virgin. I mean, huh? Huh? Good candidate for Isaac right there. Most women are like, animals, rope, water, oh. Help me. You know, Rebecca, man, hardworking, nice, sweet, good girl. Verse 20. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence like, holy cow, I can't believe God did it. <laughs> to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel, that's five and a half grams, and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels, that's 110 grams. So she gets jewelry in the midst of this. Guys, write it down. It's biblical. You know, women get jewelry, apparently after they feed the camel, but it's not a euphemism for anything, by the way. Okay, so just, anyway, and we'll just move on. And said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room. Let's spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Thank you, Jesus, for the nice lady. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. And the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Verse 29. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. And you got to pause there for a second because Laban figures prominently in different parts of the book of Genesis. Uh, he seems like an opportunist, like a little shyster. Uh, Rebecca's dad is is gone. Laban's kind of raising her. And Laban means white. Okay, So Laban is like the crazy redneck in the book. You know, wife beater, no teeth, flushes antifreeze down the sidewalk. Laban. That's who he is. Okay. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm, he thought, cha-ching. And heard the words of Rebekah, his sister. Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I prepared the house and a place for the camels. Again, he's thinking dollar signs. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. Laban, he said, speak on. It's a long section, so just go with me. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife from my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have 
not walk, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife from my son, from my clan, from my father's house. Then you'll be free from my oath when you come to my clan. If they will not give her to you, you'll be free from my oath. I think this guy's like a photographic memory or something. Verse 42. When I came to the spring and said, O Lord God, the God of my master Abraham, if you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca. I mean, same, behold, Rebecca. Came out with her water jar on water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar uh, from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, who milk aboard him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arm, and I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left, meaning go find somebody else. Verse 50, then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, this, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you good or bad. Now, they say, well, if that's what God wants, that's what we'll do. But you have to understand, too, Laban, you'll see later, worships false gods. He, he's a pagan. But in this, it, it, a lot of pagans are very superstitious. So they're like, well, if your God told you that. I'm not going to go against him. So we'll just let that go. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord had spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord in total astonishment. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days after that she may go. This is probably a ruse. They want her to stay. So they, when he says, where is she? They say, well, send us some more money for traveling expenses. They're trying to get as much money as they can out of him. But he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way send me away that i may go to my master they said let us call the young woman and ask her they have probably already talked to her ahead of time and said you need to stay here 10 more days so we can get some more money and they called rebecca and said to her will you go with this man she said i will go and they're like don't so they sent away rebecca their sister and her nurse and abraham's servant and his men and they blessed rebecca and said to her and this is song or poetry our sister may you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gates of those who hate him then rebecca and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man thus the servant took rebecca and went his way so why did the one man bring ten camels rebecca and all of her stuff it's like the hebrew u-haul Okay, they're going 450 miles. I've got to pick up a woman. She'll have lots of things and shoes, and I've got to put them over the camels. So we'll figure it out. Now, you get to Isaac finally. Okay, Now, Isaac had returned from Beer Lahoy Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. That's where Jesus met Hagar. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. Now, they don't have the scriptures like you and I have. So this means he's probably out and he's praying. He's seeking God's will for his life. Again, probably lonely because he lost his mom, a little lost. He hasn't found his bride yet. You know, God, what are you doing? Please do something. And he lifted up his eyes. See, there's that he lifted up his eyes and saw and behold exclamation there were camels coming and Rebecca lifted up her eyes same wording lifts up her eyes and when she saw Isaac she dismounted from the camel that's a sign of respect and said to the servant who is that man now in the Hebrew this is like very straight it's like who is that striking figure of a man who's that it's like that dude's hot who is that 
So she asked the guy the question, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. She took her veil and covered herself. Hebrew women don't wear veils. This is a sign of her becoming a bride at this point. What you have to see, it's really beautiful. Isaac's waiting his entire life for this. And they show up and he looks up and he sees her. She looks up, she sees him. It's like star-crossed lovers across a crowded room. It's like love at first sight. Well, bam, and there it is. It's like, oh, he's hot, she's hot. There you go. It's, it's awesome. I'm just saying. Verse 66, And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And thank God he didn't recount it again for us here. Then, Because <laughs> you know he would. <laughs> then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. He's lost and alone. He's comforted there. Now, through Isaac, eventually comes descendants that eventually lead to Jesus. He's got a very nice girl to get this whole thing going. Again, he's 40. He's probably a little desperate. But this is the whole idea of lifting up your eyes to this imagination of what God is actually going to do. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. In the Hebrew text, I know you can't see it when you read it in English, but there's a lot of worry by Abraham and Isaac and the servant who goes to find Rachel. Over and over and over, God works it out the way he needs it to be in his timing. In Hebrew, the servant is literally just blown away by the faithfulness of God. What you have to understand is Genesis 24 is not like a, like a hallmark chapter. Like Psalm 121, you know, I lift my eyes to the Lord, where's my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's not a hallmark kind of psalm. This is, this is a promise of that you will be kept, that you're not going to be cushioned. These are sterner and better and steeper words for a more noble journey. In your life, when you're worried and you're freaked out and there's hill after hill after hill, where does our hope and our trust come from? It is in Christ. Whether for Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it's in a concentration camp, or maybe you when you're a 40-year-old virgin and, and you're in the midst of this singleness, whatever it is that seems worse to you at the time, you lift up your eyes from where you are to see what God is doing because that is where your help and hope comes from. I lift up my eyes to see what God is doing in my life. That is the point. Because I will tell you, for Christianity, there's another hill. And it is many miles away and many years later. And on that hill there was a cross. And on that cross there was a man. And on that man has laid all of my sin and all of my hope and all of your sin and all of your hope. And that hill is called Calvary. The man is Jesus and he died so we can live. I'll tell you, the only way we really begin to truly live is when we die to ourselves first. We die to our sin, the smallness of our selfishness, to our fear of pain and discomfort and our own self-importance. Because it's that to which we are called. We are not free from worry because believing in God cushions us from pain. It keeps us to be the people he intends for us to be. We die with Jesus so we can live in faith and trust and obedience no matter what the circumstances are. You see, I'll tell you, I I know because I've been through things in my life as well where things come up and you just don't know what to do with them. You're overwhelmed with it. And it may not be a concentration camp like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And it may not be waiting 40 years for a bride. But there's something else I know that comes up in your lives. And the point of Genesis 24, the point of Psalm 121, is we must lift up our eyes from the circumstances that we find ourselves in that want to overwhelm us. And we lift up our eyes to what God is doing and has always been doing. God is keeping his people. He is keeping us. He is not cushioning us. He is keeping us. And that is the faithfulness of God. And this is why every week we invite you to communion. Communion reminds us that God has kept his promise to keep his people. That's why you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and I. Because our God has kept his promise. And he has kept his people. 
by his grace and his goodness. The band's going to come up. They do a couple songs here, and as they do these songs, we invite you guys to take communion. There will be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer for anything, they would love to pray for you, but especially maybe if you're going through something and you don't feel like you can lift your eyes up from your circumstances and, and then look toward God and see what he can actually do through the midst of all your struggle and pain you're going through, pray with them. They'd love to pray with you about that stuff. Uh, there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. And there's food and stuff in the back, and we put that there so you guys can get to know each other a little bit better. And hopefully that fellowship with each other ends up being in service to other people around you. Because, guys, I, I will tell you, we need each other to help us understand, to keep our eyes off of ourselves. This is why we try and get you into gospel communities. Because a lot of times in gospel communities, somebody will say, like, well, are you looking at yourself or are you looking at God? Well, I'm looking at myself, you know. I'm not always pleasant to look at, so. <laughs> and that's the thing. We've got to get our eyes off our circumstances and off ourselves and on to Jesus where they're supposed to be. Because when they are there, everything begins to change. I mean, imagine if our lives actually lived out that we understood that we are kept by Jesus and not cushioned. So we're not all angry when something happens we don't understand, but we're kept. And we live lives of full faith and trust and obedience in who he is. I think that would make a huge difference in people we come into contact with. We must remember to be a people who are kept, kept. Let's pray. Out of this morning, I ask that you would remind us constantly that you watch over us because we, quite frankly, need to be watched. <laughs> but you're not watching us in the sense of wanting to smack us over the head. You're watching in the sense that you long to keep us as your people, to draw us near to you. And that we, as a people, can trust you as our God. Because you have been forever faithful to us. You keep all of your promises. And Father, though throughout the course of the Old Testament, they were always waiting for this Messiah to come. And though it took you a few millennia to show up, you were still right in your timing. And though everybody thought it had to be right now, you knew exactly when it had to be. And you came through just as you said and just when you knew it needed to be done. And so have us be a people who trust you. That you are true to everything you say. That your plans cannot be stopped. And that no matter what is taking place in our lives, we can look up from those circumstances and focus on you. That you are a God who keeps us. Father, we ask that we would be a people who know and no matter the circumstance that it is well with our souls because you are the keeper of our souls. Have us live truly and walk faithfully as your children, honoring you by all that we do, by living as a kept people who understand that we need a keeper because without you we'd be lost forever. But we do have you and you have us. Have us be those who live that way.